0: Throwback Sunday, Simon and Garfunkel, one of their biggest hits was called, I am a rock. And you know the chorus, is I am a rock, I am an island. And one of the verses says, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty, that none may penetrate, I have no need of friendship, friendship causes pain. It's laughter, and it's nothing, I, it's, it, and it's loving, I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. These guys actually made a lot of money singing about relational dysfunction. I mean, this was a big hit, but think of the words that are being said there. Here's a person who's singing about the avoidance of relationships because of the pain that it causes. And so they've isolated themselves, not to be touched, not to feel, just to be in a place of kind of relational numbness. And the reason that touches such a chord with us is because we can identify with that in certain times and certain places in our own life. And maybe we're at a place where we don't want to feel certain things about our relationships. Maybe we've been burned. Maybe we've been hurt. All of us have been experiencing some of that at some point in our life. What hope is there from scripture that helps us to understand what God's plan is for relationships so that they might be truly as He purposed them to be? life-giving, joyful, reflective of His life in us, inviting people in. These are the things that God has purposed for relationship. Even this side of heaven where it's still challenging, where it's still difficult. And so today we're going to be in Ephesians 5. We're in the third part of our uh, series on... Ephesians, it's called chosen because this is where God has through Paul writing to the church at Ephesus so that they would know that in fact they are chosen to be in the Lord and what it means to be chosen. What does it mean to be the people of God? And so we looked at what it meant to belong to him, that was the first part. Then a couple of weeks ago we looked at, at what it meant to succeed in him because he we belong, that gives us worth and that gives us value, it gives us purpose. And he gives us a purpose so that we would be successful in reflecting him. So we explored that a couple weeks ago. And now we're going to look at the key blessing and benefit that he's designed us to be, and that is people in relationship. God himself is in relationship. He is three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He invented relationships. So if we want to have our relationships that glorify him, reflect him well, and, and give us life and enjoyment this side of heaven... Let's talk about what that looks like. Let's look at Ephesians 5. I'm going to look at specifically verses 18 through 28 to start. Okay, verse 18, and I'm going through verse 28. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So I want us, as we look at this, we're going to go through these verses a little bit, bit by bit, and as I was thinking about how how best to do that, the the whole notion of of kind of wellness came to me. If any of you have been to a doctor, anytime you go to a doctor now, uh, they ask you a series of questions. They're trying to determine your wellness, what's going on with you, and oftentimes they'll actually give you a bit of a break on your insurance if you go ahead of time, if you actually go there before you're sick. Because if they can catch stuff early, then they'll be in a place of being able to um, an ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure. They can give you some things that are going to make you healthy now, so that you're not sick later. So it's kind of a wellness check. So they ask you a series of questions: Are you? um, What's your diet like? What kind of exercise are you getting? Are you taking any medications? They want to understand what's going on, so that you can live a life that is well. Free of disease. So we're going to kind of use that, that metaphor as we look at these scriptures. Look at verses 18 and 20. Excuse me, 18 through 20. We just read it. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is very intentionally setting up a contrast between, in one case, the world, the old man that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, the person who's just kind of living for the moment, living for whatever pleasure. That's a person who's going to get drunk, and they're going to show those signs of inebriation. Some of you have seen people that are under the influence of alcohol. You know what that looks like. They don't sound like themselves. They're not acting like themselves. They they shouldn't be driving by themselves. There's a lot of things that go with being inebriated that we can visibly see. And Paul is calling that out specifically because what he's saying here is that as people of God, as men and women who are in Jesus Christ, we need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit We need to be so under his influence that people can look at us. Just like they would look at somebody who's drunk and say, that person's drunk. They need to be able to look at us and say, that person's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Something's gotten into you. I don't know what that is. They need to be able to say that about us. But Paul, being the good pastor that he is, gets very specific. What are some of those signs of of for us being under the Holy Spirit? Well, the first one that you see is that we're speaking. And it says, don't, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The content of our speech, what we say, reflects what's going on inside of us, reflects the influence that we are under. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Jesus tells us. And so we want to recognize that when we're under the Spirit's influence, our speech is centered on God. Our speech is reflective of things that are in scripture. We're speaking Psalms. We're singing hymns. This is kind of what this, this whole choir is under the influence of the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. Amen. When you speak a psalm to somebody, something apt going on in their life, I hope you've had the opportunity to do that recently. Maybe God has put something specifically on your heart for somebody in your group or a friend of yours or a family member, and it's coming right from the Word of God. The Psalms especially are designed to to speak to the emotions that we feel for all the things that are going on in our life. There's there's emotions of gladness when, when we just see God coming through. There's emotions of sadness when we really wonder whether He's He's working in our lives. There's the emotion of feeling His mercy or needing His mercy because we've messed it up bad. And we feel like, Lord, in that moment, I just need a touch from You. In that moment, hopefully God is sending somebody into your life to speak a psalm of praise. Maybe you're anxious about something. And then somebody would come into your life and said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When somebody speaks something like that, that changes your whole perspective on what's going on for you. Instead of being anxious and fearful, now you've got courage. Now you've got, oh yeah, God's on my side. Speaking Psalms, speaking Scripture into one another's life is a reflection of being under the Spirit's influence. So is singing, so, is, so, is hy- so are hymns. And that's just something that we want to, to take on. So here's the question, here's the diagnostic question, using our medical metaphor. What, whose influence are you under? Are you under the world's influence? Are you under the influence of just not enough caffeine today? Are you under the influence of just stuff that's going on in your life? Or have you said, Lord, I'm bringing that to you? I'm giving, I'm surrendering that to you. I want to be under your spirit's influence. Some of us are right in the midst of hard relationship challenges. Stuff that just seems intractable. We're not sure it's going to end. It has a daily grind to it. It's really not life giving. It's not joy producing. How do I do, how do I deal with that, Lord? The only way to do that right now is to say, is to latch on to this passage and say, Lord, I want to be under your influence. When I go home today, I need to be under your influence, not mine. Not under the influence of the history of this relationship. Not under the influence of the discouragement that I might actually feel. But under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who bears all things. Who says that love believes all things. Trusts all things. Hopes all things. Lord, give me your hope for the situation that I'm facing. And when you do that, you're you're completely surrendering. Like, Lord, I'm out of hope. I can If I could fill myself up, I would. But I cannot. You have to do that. Please, Lord. And you will find that he will minister to you. He will speak to you. He will send you people to sing psalms. He will uplift you through the psalms and, and hymns that are being sung here today. Get your praise on. That's a good way to do that. So whose influence are you under? It's really the first question when we think about how God has designed us to have life-giving relationships. When we are under the power of the Holy Spirit, the things, the, the desires, and the hopes that we have for whatever relationships we are in have the best opportunity to coming to fruition, having the best opportunity to become reality. Don't try to get God's results your way with your temper or your... Uh, silent treatment or your passive aggression. That's not going to work. If it was going to work, it would have worked by now, right? But it's not working. So surrender that and say, Lord, I need to be under your influence. I need your love. I need that to permeate my heart. Whose influence are you under? Second thing I see here is just the next verse we're going to read is Ephesians 5.21. What does 5.21 says, say? It says, submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Grammatically, the idea of submitting is the same as speaking, the same as singing, same as giving thanks. It's all part of being in the Spirit. It's all part of being under the influence of the Spirit. But we're calling it out specifically because Paul is saying that submission to one another is a part of what it means to be a Christian. It's part of what it means to be in the body. And when he talks about submission, it's a word he uses a lot in the New Testament. He has the idea of being arranged under, much like soldiers are arranged under a sergeant and the sergeant oversees a platoon is arranged under a company commander or, you know, a lieutenant or a captain. There's a sense of being arranged under. And he's saying this to Christians because in his mind, in the church, there are different positions that people have. He, You already know, if you know your New Testament, that they have apostles that were the cornerstone of the church, and then they appointed deacons that were there to provide practical works of service. And so as each of these people had their role, those that were on those service teams had to be in submission, to those folks. That's just the way it works. You we, we see that in ministry teams. You might have somebody who's a CEO, but if they serve on a, you know, CEO in, in their Monday to Friday life, or Monday to Saturday if you're CEO, Monday to... Anyway, you, you know, you're, you're really busy, and you've got a lot of responsibility, but you serve on a ministry team. You are submitting yourself to that ministry team leader, who may not be a CEO. They may not be a C, an E, or an O. They may be just like a regular individual contributor, Monday to Friday, but they oversee that team, and you 're submitting to them there 's actually a guy some years ago who was a growth group leader uh, that I had the privilege of working with who was a CEO and You might expect that his group would do pretty well because he was well organized and he was thoughtful and all those things, and the group did in fact uh, function in a, in a healthy manner. But what was really impressive to me is that the training times that we would have, and we had about uh, four of those a year, and we would have other meetings from time to time. He was always in attendance. I mean, here's a guy that could actually do a lot of the teaching that I was doing. But he decided to attend. He was under submission to the just to the, the, the ministry leadership. And he just said, yeah, that that's good. And so what was interesting, the influence that he had didn't come primarily from the gifts and talents that he was given. It came out of his sense of humility. His sense of submitting to part of the team. And so that was just something that people could see. That was something that made him additionally attractive as a leader. And it's something that when you really think about it is modeled by Christ, isn't it? Because here's the secret about Paul. Here's the key to understanding Paul. Paul is not exhorting us, commanding us to do anything other than what he has seen Jesus do already. And so in the same way, then, Philippians 2, verses 3 to 9, say this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, talking to us, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Being in the very nature of God, Jesus did not hang on to that, that idea of grasp, but he emptied himself. When we submit one to another, we are emptying ourselves for the purpose of making the other person successful, if you want to think of it, supporting their needs Supporting what God has called them to do being in favor of them So here's the sort of the second question that comes from that whole idea of submission is whose benefit are you living for? Whose benefit are you living for yourself? Casey, then you can be the CEO or are you living for the benefit of other people as Jesus did? His whole life was for the benefit of others Paul's life, he said, I'm pouring myself out as a drink offering. Why? For the benefit of other people. If you're in Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you want your relationships to work as God intended them, you need to be have the mindset of living for the benefit of other people. Not for yourself, but for the benefit of others. What's their best interest? What do they need? How can I bless them? These are the kinds of questions that go with relational health. The kinds of things that if you start doing them in your relationships, you'll start to see a change if you haven't been doing them already. How can I bless? How can I benefit others? Now, we don't like that word submit, do we? It has a connotation to it that's a little uncomfortable. Creates a little tension. I think that's for a couple reasons. The first reason is we You know, if you've been in America, if you're an American, you already get this. If you've been in America for anything longer than about two days, you know that we're kind of born of a revolutionary spirit. We didn't like the authorities that were over us to begin with, so we got rid of them. Kind of created our own country. So we have that sense of not liking authority, not liking to submit. That's part of what's going on. The other part of what goes on for us is I think most of us in this room can give a testimony to a time where the authority that was used over us was used inappropriately, abusively, not helpfully, way out of, a, out of a place of ego rather than out of a sense of blessing. And so we've been on the receiving end of those kinds of things, and if we've been on the receiving end for a long time, we can kind of go in our hearts, kind of go time out, I'm not dealing with that again. You are not going to say those things, you're not going to do those things. So I'm resist- the whole idea of submission just looks like weakness, it looks like being oppressed, it looks like, ugh, I just don't want it. But you know what's interesting is that whole sense of authority doesn't bother Paul. Because for Paul, whether you're submitting one to another, has no sense, it does not reflect your value before God in any way. Your value and your worth has been sealed since before God made anything. That's what we looked at three weeks ago. Before he made any one of us, he destined us to be in him. And for Paul, if you're in Christ, that's the max blessing, achievement, thing that you could ever hope for. Look at what Paul says. He says this on a variety of different places. He says in Colossians, just to make sure that we understand this point before we move on. He says in Colossians 3... Um, 9, I'm just going to read 9 through 12. Don't lie to each other. He's talking about relationships. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self, the old man that we've talked about with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here, within the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In Galatians, he asks, he also adds, there's no male or female. What's he saying? He's saying that everybody is equal before the foot of the cross. He's saying that the distinctions that our world makes between the really religious and those that aren't religious, the, the ethnic differences that our world makes, the gender differences that our world makes, none of those have any impact when it comes to being in Christ. Because when you're in Christ, you have everything. You have maximum and infinite worth. All the value you could ever want is found in Christ. It's not found in in what people group you belong to, what your socioeconomic status is. There's no slave or free. Those were big distinctions in that society. And socioeconomic differences are big in our society. But Jesus is saying through Paul that all that we have equal worth. So because we start from a foundation of equal worth and equal value that is founded in Jesus, the idea of submitting one to another That's just kind of a secondary issue. That just helps us move along the way we're supposed to move along. If you're serving on a deacon team, it it blesses the deacons. If you're serving on a ministry team, it blesses them. We're going to look at some of what are called the household codes in a little bit later. We started to read that towards the end of chapter 5. But we're going to look at how that applies to family. But he's saying that don't confuse authority with worth. Don't confuse submission with a statement of your value. Either saying somebody's More valuable than you, or you're less valuable than them. That's not what it means. So just want to make sure we kind of had that clear. If we have that clear, then we're in a better place of giving to others rather than receiving. Jesus is quoted in Acts 20 by Paul as saying, the Lord said it is better to give than to receive. When you live for the benefit of other people, to make them better, to make them successful, you're doing exactly what... Jesus did for your behalf in so many ways. There's any number of application areas for that. But I'm just going to leave that there. That's really our second diagnostic question. Whose benefit are you living for? First question was whose influence are you under? And now let's look at Ephesians 5:22 and 28. These are what are called the household codes. Household codes in Greco-Roman culture... It was very concerned with how the the big categories of society. And so those were husband and wife. Those were master and slave. Those were parent and child. Aristotle wrote about it. Philo wrote about it. If you had a papyrus and a pen, you were often writing about some aspect of what are called the household codes. Because in Greco-Roman culture, the household was the key to a society's successful functioning and longevity. And in that society, the man ruled. There was inequality and worth in worth and value the way those codes rolled out. A woman was somewhere between a slave and a man in terms of value. Children tremendously devalued, could be abused, could be killed with impunity in certain circumstances, uh, infanticide practice. Babies, just as they're left in some countries, women, girls, baby infants, were left also back in ancient times. Left to die because they were economic liability. These are the household codes of that culture. And it's into that code that Paul is speaking in what we're about to read. And his message is incredibly radical. We're going to look at that. So let me just read the codes, starting in verse 22 again, going through 28. And then I'm going to extend that to chapter 6 verses 1 to 9. Husbands. Okay, it starts with wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body for which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now chapter six, beginning in verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you are serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Can you hear the radical transformation that Paul is talking about? Can you hear how he takes an inequality in a society and he turns it upside down. Can can you hear how he's doing that? What do we notice in each of these areas? i me give you a short version. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but rather train them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters just as you would obey Christ. Masters, don't threaten your slaves because you know that he who is both master and yours is in heaven. Who is Jesus pointing every one of these groups to? Jesus. Jesus is pointing each person, Paul is pointing each person there to Christ. The secret of a healthy relationship, the secret of a relationship that blesses God is one that you are living for to glorify God. So that's the third question. Whose glory are you living for? Are you living for God's glory? In which case, you'll interpret your circumstances and how you respond in light of glorifying Him. Or are you living for your own glory? In which case you'll interpret your circumstances in terms of how they're going to help you or hurt you. This is why Paul is saying in the world you have the old man. The old man is characterized by anger and malice and slander and rage and those kinds of things. Why? Because the old man is looking at relationships only in terms of how they help them or hurt them. If you help me, I'm your friend. If you hurt me, I am done with you. That's how the world thinks. But God is saying, through Paul, you look at relationships as a way to honor and glorify God first. That's a huge mindset change. If you want your relationships to, to have the promise, to realize the promise of marriage, of, of family, of kids, of, of relationships, you've got to say, Lord, I only want to glorify you. In each and every one of these situations that I'm in. I want to glorify you in my marriage. It's hard, but how do I do that? I want to glorify you in my job. I got a boss who looks, reminds me of this slave master that I've just read about. Doesn't care what I think. Doesn't give me a lot of stuff. You know, doesn't give me any leeway. Micromanaging. We have, you know, modern terms to describe this. He's micromanaging. He's in, he's in my business. He's arbitrary. He plays favorites. It's all those things. The question is, Lord, what do you want me to do there? The question is, how do I bless you, Jesus? How do I glorify you in that situation? This is what Paul is talking about. So the question for healthy relationships is, who am I glorifying? Who do I want to glorify? Do I want to glorify God, or do I want to glorify myself? And then he gets very practical, right? Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's hard. Now, hopefully we've kind of covered some of the idea of submission, but he's saying for a wife who heard this, the first, you know, the first wives that heard this in Ephesus, they're thinking this is actually good news because they are already in the Lord, so they have equal value. They're thinking this is good news because they know that even while their husband might be Um, not quite the man that they need him or want him or thought he would be. Nevertheless, they know they're living for Jesus. They know that their heavenly Father is pleased with them. They know that their heavenly Father is empowering them, that he's blessing them, that he's alongside of them. And wives, some of you know that. You know what it's like. Even though your husband is a believer, that he can still be kind of thick-headed at times, that he's still a work in progress, right? I shudder to think what Vicky's had to put up with. Over the over the days, she's you know we've been married 31 years. She's graciously kept many of her thoughts. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> many of her thoughts uh, confide, you know confided them in the Lord. And I you know just sometime early on in our marriage, I like to drive. I, mean, well, I still like driving. I like to drive, so I would drive everywhere. Um, and and somehow I thought that my enjoyment of driving translated into an ability to navigate. But that wasn't necessarily the case, and so I would cheerfully go past one exit after another, thinking that okay, it's just another three miles up the road. And Vicky, who knows better, is saying this is before Siri and, and maps and all that other stuff. You had to do it the old-fashioned way. You had to call somebody up and say, okay, all right, I got a pen. Now tell me how to get there, and then they'd write it down. And so I would, I'd look at it, I'd memorize it, and like off we go. And as we're driving past the exit, and Vicky's watching it go. You know, and she'd, you know, for a while she'd want to say something to me. She actually tried to say things to me from time to time like, hey, I think that was the exit we were supposed to take. Me being the nice spirit-filled man that I was at the time would say, don't talk to me about that. I know exactly where I'm going. Until, you know, five miles later, I'm like, you know, we should have seen that turnoff by now. I don't I don't know why and Vic's like, it's back there. So, it, it got so bad, true confessions, got so bad that I would tell her, don't tell me if we're missing an exit. I'd rather be wrong. If, taking the, you know, if listening to you is right, I'd rather be wrong. That's how crazy that was. Now, I'm a Christian at that point. I'm, I'm a full-on Christian. I'm praying. I read my Bible. I'm doing... And... and I don't know how we got through that other than you know Vicky calling out a power prayer hit on me or whatever whatever the Holy Spirit did. Eventually I got to the place of saying first I'm sorry. Two little words that can really help your relationship. I'm sorry and would you just you know tell me. I'm going to listen. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to listen. I'm going to admit that I'm not a good navigator. There's a lot of two little words that can help you out. I'm sorry forgive me, uh, you're right. These were all things that I've used. If I do that, I'm sorry, please, you know, forgive me, you're right, then sometimes I actually get to hear, you're wonderful. Now, that's not really a reward, but I'm kind of reward-oriented. But two little words can really change your relationship. So I just say that in that kind of little context, but we all have bigger ones where we're just as stubborn as I was, just as impervious to wise counsel. And it does, it's not a big deal to miss an exit, go a few more miles down, and be a little late for whatever the thing was. But there's bigger consequences in other situations, aren't there? Whose glory are we living for? In those moments, I'm living for my glory. I got my own image about how I'm supposed to be Mr. Navigator, Prince Henry the Navigator, if you know your history. I'm supposed to be that guy, but I'm not that guy. Why did God give me Vicky? A whole lot of reasons, but not least of which is to make sure we get there on time. <laughs> So, you know, if, and if you're not in a place where, where you're married, but you're, you're a not yet married person, now's the time to look in those stubborn areas. If friends of yours have come to you and say, Hey, I've, I've kind of noticed this. And you're like, don't talk to me. You know, you got to listen. They're praying for you. Listen to them. Embrace what they're saying. If, if it's more than like three people, God's probably trying to tell you something So wives, there's times you're going to have to be patient. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, the whole tension that our culture feels around submission, I don't think would exist if husbands really lived out this calling the way it's described in Scripture. But they're too often, husbands just get, get lazy in their theology and just say, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be the man. That means we're going to have this to eat, and I'm going to buy that, and we're going to do this, and we're going to, here's, I, I'm king of the TV. I own the remote. This is what it means to be head of the household. And the wise woman is like, oh, Lord, please, please help him. Anoint him. Let the scales fall from his eyes that he might clearly see you more. You know, I can only imagine, but if if men would get in touch, guys, if we would get in touch exactly with what Ephesians 5 is saying, husbands, what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what? And gave himself up for her. You cannot talk about love without talking about sacrifice. Love is not about authority imposed upon your poor, unsuspecting family and, and friends. Love is about giving of yourself for the benefit of others. Love is living on their account. So when we model Christ, we're modeling what he modeled, which is sacrifice. So if we would live, gentlemen, like that, our wives would have no problem submitting. Submitting. That means just saying, I have value, I have worth, I have skills, I have talents. This is what God has put into every woman, and I'm happy to use those in the service of building up our family. That's what that means. And I cheerfully do that because you are loving me and loving this family as Christ loved the church giving yourself up for us. I know that. I love that. I want to be a part of that. Guys, that's our call. Sometimes I run into guys that, that really feel kind of intimidated by that. If I have an honest conversation with them, they say, hey, uh, really, truly? My wife is the spiritual giant in our household. She's the one that does the Bible study. She goes to BSF. She does the praying. She gets the kids ready for school. I, you know, for coming to church, I, I that's just not, she knows so much more than me. And there's a sense of feeling almost intimidated by it. And like any good old-fashioned guy, when we're intimidated, sometimes we just like give up. We don't like to say we give up, but we do give up. We just stop doing it, and we say, okay, well, she's doing it. At least it's getting done. Gentlemen, This verse is calling us to be the kind of lover that Christ is to his church. Giving ourselves up for our family. Giving ourselves up for our wife. That means, at a minimum, you don't have to necessarily be a Bible scholar. I'm not telling you to run out and get a big concordance and all that stuff. I'm just saying, hey, say, honey, can we pray? I'd like to pray today. Or if you do the Bible reading together or watch a Bible video, then just talk about it. Go to a coffee shop. Just talk about it. What did that... What did you hear from that? I heard this. What did you hear? I heard that. That is great. Gentlemen, if if more of of us would do that, then we would become and walk out the call that God has on us. And again, not yet married guys, that's, that's just part of the training. That doesn't change. Some of you guys are doing that now, and I think that's important. Keep on keeping on in that area. That's part of spiritual maturity. It, it, it's so important that we would walk and treat our wives the way Christ would treat, treated, has treated and continues to treat the church. And we treat our families the same way. You know, whether you're a dad with kids, uh, whether the kids are in your house, there's a lot of single parent households. You can easily say and do need to see this as an, as a word for any parent, moms or dads. It says, do not exasperate your children in chapter six. Right? Excuse me. It says, children, obey your parents, for that's right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. And fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Our parents weren't perfect, were they? We can all tell tales about things that should have happened that didn't, that would have been blessings, or things that did happen that shouldn't have. Uh, because they weren't blessings. In fact, they're far from it. But Paul wants us to know that our kids have huge value. And he wants kids to know that they're valued before the Lord and that their responsibility is to obey mom and dad. Now, it's easier to do, your children can find that easier to do, if you're not exasperating them. What is how do you exasperate your kids? If you're always picking on them, if you're always finding fault, if you find the 1% that they didn't get right instead of giving thanks and praise for the 99% that they did get? You know, how many kids are dying a death of, you know, a thousand deaths of bringing home one A minus instead of all the A's? They come in second in the, in the concert performance. It's like, we can be so crushed by what our parents say. And so it's a responsibility. Are you, mom and dad, mom or dad, mom and dad, are you breathing life into your children? Are you saying things that build them up? The, the, the people that study these things say that one negative comment will have far more impact than five, six, seven positive comments. We're kind of geared toward the negative. We're, we're concerned about that. So parents, praise your kids find them, catch them doing good things, help them out, get on the floor, you know, let's clean up this place, you know, that's what I used to get, I, my, my mom would roll in and say this place is a pigsty, that, that was, you know, we knew it was bad when it was the pigsty, this place is a pigsty, you got to clean it up, so I'm like, oh, now I could have wished that she'd helped us, but she would have just been really frustrated, and I realized that I would have to, you know, respond to her, I would have to obey, so I would take all my stuff and throw it on my brother's side. And then, like, I'd go to mom, like, I'm I'm good. Come on in and look at my half of the room. Okay, that wasn't really the right way to do it. But here's the here's the point. Parents, get down there with your kids from time to time. Show them what it's like. I responded better as a child when adults would sit down with me and show me what they actually wanted and then say, now you got to go do that. In medical school, they say, what, uh, you know, observe one, do one, teach one. There's a sense of being trained up by people. Parents, train up your kids in the things you want them to do. Let them know that they're always loved. They need to know that they are loved more than, than you um, are valuing their performance because we're all going to mess up, right? There's all going to be times when we don't get the, the A minus and we get the B plus or we get the C plus. Um, that's okay. Parents, love. make sure they know that you love them above, above all else because that's how our Heavenly Father treats us. It won't take time really to touch on the whole kind of employer-employee relationship, the, the master-slave piece, other than to say, wherever you are in that whole employment piece, wherever you are in whatever family structure you're in, wherever you are in your parent-child relationships, remember this principle, that we are all accountable to Jesus. That if we want healthy relationships, that we have to have that focus of glorifying Christ, not glorifying ourselves. If we want to have healthy relationships, we want to be in a place... Where we are seeking the blessing of others, where we're living for the benefit of others. And if we want to glorify, and if we want to have the blessed relationships, we gotta be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If we do these things, we'll look at our circumstances and we'll realize potentially as challenging as they can be, as hard as they are at times, they're not things that are necessarily going to undo God's blessing for us. They're not gonna cause us to fail to glorify Him or to bless Him or to please Him. And that should be incredibly encouraging to each of us. And so let me just leave you with one kind of application as we close. I don't know where this has sort of touched you. Um, I hope that it's inspired you to say, Lord, I want to be your person in each of my relationships. Can I tell you that there's a little risk factor, you know, a good... A good contract always has the fine print. Here's the fine print. When you move out in this area, when you start to say, I want their bless I want their best. I want to glorify you. I want to be under your spirit, there's not necessarily a guarantee that they will respond in kind. You know the old Marvin Gaye and Kim Weston song, It takes two, baby. So it takes two to make this real. But what's interesting about this Ephesians passage that we've been looking at is you see how Paul, as a very good pastor, is speaking to each person to do their part. speaking to husbands, do your part. Wives, do your part. Masters, do your part. Slaves, do your part. Kids, do your part. Parents, do your part. Too often we get it wrong. Too often it's like, okay, I'm a husband. I'm going to speak to her about her part. I want her to do her part. And kids say, I want mom and dad to do their part. And, you know, so when each person wants the other person to do their part and is holding back until they wait, until they see it, that's a recipe for disaster. When division occurs and when misunderstanding happens, it just get, tends to get further and further when we sit and we wait and we don't initiate. You, you, can't, you can't stay still. You've got to say, Lord, help me be your agent of change. Help me be your agent of change as I rely on you. I'm filled with your spirit. I want their best. And I need to glorify you. You make those commitments. You answer those questions. And you'll start to see health grow more and more. I've been talking somewhat remedially about relationships. I know there's a lot of relationships that are good. They're positive. They're healthy. You got fillers in your life. Make sure that those stay healthy. That they get even healthier. They get even stronger. Do these things. And those good relationships will get even better. So now let me return to the application. I don't know where this has touched you. I don't know what relationships have been. the Spirit has called to mind. So I want you to just think of one relationship. Think of one relationship that God's maybe put on your heart since we've been talking. And think of one action you can do in that relationship. Maybe it's some aspect of being spirit-filled when you go and meet with them. Maybe it's some aspect of being, you know, really for that person and living for them, having their best interest, not just your own at, at heart. Maybe it's like, Lord, I just, I'm always seeing this relationship in terms of what it can do for me, but I want to see it in terms of how it can glorify you. I don't know where that is. I'll give you a few seconds just to think. If you want to write it down in your Bible, if you're taking notes, if you want to write it down because you have poor memory, there's there's uh, cards in the seat backs, do that. We're just going to take a, a, you know about 20 seconds to do that. Then I'll close this up in prayer, okay? All right, let's just be quiet before the Lord. I'm going to start in prayer, and then I'll close this. Father, show us what you would say to each of us about a relationship that needs to glorify you more, needs to be of greater health. Thank you.